Side one is calm, non-abusive, although highly fragmented. Side two is schizophrenic. Welcome to episode 24 of There's Still Time, the AFTN Vancouver Whitecaps podcast. I am Steve Pander, and if you're wondering why I'm introducing the show, it's because we have a very angry Michael McCall, who is just trying to vent a little bit before he gets onto the broadcast. Hello, Michael. How's it going? It's not going that good. Uh, Steve wouldn't let me touch the microphone this week because... He said an angry Scott and a live microphone is even more dangerous than an angry Scott on Twitter. That's true. And the thing is, we wanted to have a little bit of a nice welcoming uh, introduction to the podcast. And I thought it might be a little bit, uh, you might scare some people away if, if you got on the podcast right to start off the show. And of course, next week will be our special Halloween show. And that's when we're really going to scare people. So, uh, Whitecaps are done. 3-2 loss to the Colorado Rapids last night. What what your overall thoughts on this on the game? The game itself wasn't that bad. It's like they they probably didn't deserve to lose. They probably didn't deserve to win either. It's like a, a two all draw. I think would have been a really fair result. They opened the scoring in the first half just from nothing, and at that point, Colorado I felt were kind of just starting to turn the screw a little bit. Deshaun Brown had YP Lee looking every single year of that 36 that he has. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it was a definitely big mismatch. And uh, before we get to the rest of the game, one thing I was thinking, was it a little bit that YP Lee wasn't getting the support from like a Nigel Rio Coker because Nigel was so looked so spent during the most of the game? Was that a factor in that? I, I don't know. I hadn't actually thought of like it being Rio Coker's fault, but he he certainly looked spent. I tweeted that out in the second half. He looked shot. Obviously, it's a player that's not used to playing at altitude, and he's probably only ever played it once before in his life, which was when he, he played there back earlier in the year. But whether it was Rio Coker or somebody, I don't know, but Lee just seemed to be on his own for a lot of the game against Brown with no support of anyone, no other defenders, no midfielders. There was just no one tracking back. And any any defender in MLS is going to struggle on any given day with the pace of a player like Deshaun Brown. Same with, with Kakuta Mani. It's like defenders struggle with that. It's really hard to defend against. You know what they're going to do. But as we've said countless times, how do you defend against that? But Lee struggled. And because he was struggling, he should have had somebody back almost double teaming him at times. Yeah, but the thing is, yeah, the his the guy next to him, Mitchell, who also, as we can see, struggled a little bit yeah, in that game. Had a bit of a mayor. Um he was he seemed to be the guy on Torres uh for most of the night. He was marking Torres uh and did a decent job on him, I thought, uh, except for the foul on Moore and uh, the missing of the header on the goal kick. So you you expect Rio Coker to be the guy that, that came back a little bit and helped out, but it wasn't there. Um, I don't know. I would more have expected, and like, this isn't us going off on a June Marcus Davidson rant because, as regular listeners all know, I'm quite a fan of June. But I would have thought that was more maybe Davidson's role was to go back and help out both Lee and Harvey, both of whom really struggled at, at times in that game. Yeah, Davidson was basically playing uh, high up, but he wasn't playing with the same kind of movement that he was in the Seattle game. I thought. He was, and, and the thing is, Le, uh, Nick LeBrocca seemed to have a lot of space between the, the back four and the midfield. And so, I, I don't know, he was playing a little higher than what he normally does. I guess there was more emphasis on maybe attacking or something, but they weren't able to win that second ball and, and keep possession then after that. And ultimately, it, it boiled down to a draw probably wouldn't even have been enough. Been yeah. enough. And yeah. It still might have been because Dallas got that surprise win against Seattle. 
So they could have surprised San Jose. So a draw and a win might have been enough. We'll never know. Not really too much point talking about that now. But they... Let, let's look at the goals, I guess, to start with. Kikuta's goal to start with, beautiful. Like, yeah, fantastic finish. Uh, uh, Kobayashi, I know he was invisible for the most of the game, but he found Kakuta. But it was Kakuta who made the who made the goal for himself. Kakuta hit at the top corner, and there was no chance for Clint Irwin on that shot. Um, fantastic finish, and it looked like the Whitecaps were on their on their way to do something. But then that penalty, a lot of people struggling whether it was uh, it was the talk of the post game show afterwards uh do you think it was a penalty or do you think it was i uh, personally i think it was uh based on what carl mitchell did he made it look like a penalty but maybe it was it was a soft penalty what's your thoughts on that i've watched it a couple of times and i still can't make my mind up whether i think it was a penalty or not at the time i was screaming at the tv the first of many times yesterday that I, i was shouting at the tv my dog actually at one point went upstairs i think he was like i don't know what's going on and then when it went to 2-1, my wife joined him upstairs mm. and yeah, and 3-2 as well. But for the penalty, if you put your hands on a player in the box, you're always going to risk that. Now, Martin Rennie said after the game that it was a young referee, they're always going to make mistakes and that he thought that was a mistake and that it was a very soft penalty. I, I don't know if you've got your arms on somebody. The thing is, Drew Moore sold it well and that's what a veteran does. He twisted round, he made it look like he'd been spun round, and I, I don't really have too much complaints. No, well, you know what, I, I think so too. I think it's, I agree with you. I think if you, the, what sold it was his arm on his uh, shoulder, and it looked like it was being twisted around. One thing I, I, about that play, it wasn't really the, what the foul itself, but I think Carl Munster should have more uh, confidence in himself that he could have got to the ball faster than Drew Moore. And I think he did have position on the ball. So I think he should have been able to uh, uh, avoid putting that hand on the chest and avoided the penalty in that in that sense. So that made it one all at the half, and I, I tweeted out at half time that that second half was going to have us all sweating more than Ziggy Schmidt in a fudge factory, or Ziggy Schmidt at Thanksgiving for any gobble 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 fans out there. Yes, so. but it didn't really take long for for that sort of nervousness to turn to anxiety when. Whitecaps have a corner. Kakuta Mane has two chances to try and put it away. Jordan Harvey, fantastic defensive block. That's what you want from a defender. <laughs> Maybe not in the opposition's box, but it was a nice block. And then Mane, one of his wild shots flying over the bar. Can't get them all on target. But it was costly because then from that goal kick, Irwin, huge punt downfield. Whether the altitude carried it a little bit more, whether that confused Carlisle Mitchell but when you go up and try and get that you can't miss it as badly as as, as he missed it I think yeah I agree with that he, he sh- it was obviously I, I think it was a miscalculation on his part but you got to also look at the guys behind him and there should have been more cover for him I, I, I didn't get a chance to look at the replay too many times but I was like you got to wonder where Demerit was oh yeah and, it's, it's the thing and, again because the ball fell to Lee one on one yeah and yeah, where were the rest of the defence? And it isn't just down to Carlisle. And you also have to remember as well, Carlisle had just come back from international duty. So he's tired. He's flown from the Caribbean into Vancouver, one day training with the Whitecaps, then he's back going down to altitude. So that's going to take a lot out of him. So I do actually give Mitchell a little bit of pass marks on that. Because even though he missed the ball... You're expecting there's going to be people behind him that's going to mop up that miss. Yeah. And then you're left with Brown and Lee, that one-on-one race that Lee's never going to win. And great finish by Brown, as he's been doing all season. Slotted at home, 2-1. Looking really tough going for the Caps. But they fought back. They got themselves back in the game. What did you think of the penalty? Because it was a clumsy tackle in the box... I think the way Harvey fell, for me at first, I didn't think he was going to get it because it looked a little bit too theatrical. No, I agree with that. I, 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 I was When I first saw it, I was wondering if it was going to get called, but I think it, I personally think it was most likely a makeup call, and I think the Whitecaps knew there was going to be something like that. I think maybe at halftime they were even told that if you get any kind of contact in the box, go down. 
because this 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 referee is young, like like Randy said, and he's gonna he's gonna call something up, and he's probably gonna make it up. And maybe somebody told him that maybe that wasn't a penalty on the opening goal for the uh, for Denver uh, for Colorado. So maybe there was some kind of makeup, and I think that's where he probably came from. But going down in the box, surely that's not sporting, and that that's what some people seem to just want: is the Whitecaps to be a sporting team. Well, no, you got to you got to it's got to take advantage of the referee when the referee is going to be calling uh, fouls like that. So I think I, I know I know where you're coming from with that, and I, if anybody's followed on Twitter, you would you would understand where Michael's coming from on that. But yeah, I think I'll have my first rant of the day. Yeah, go ahead. This rant brought to you by <laughs> Angry Scotsman. Angry Scotsman being angry across the world since the 1800s. So yesterday I tweeted out during the game that when when Davison did that tackle in the first half on Brown, I thought it was fantastic because just before that I had tweeted out somebody needs to give him a good kick, get him injured, get him off the pitch because he was causing so much danger. Then Davidson does that and I'm like, excellent, he's read my tweet, let's hope he's off injured now. And then Irvin Gaffar tweets back, or retweets that, with a little comment of, oh, that's great, wanting an opponent injured, that's not very sporting. How does being sporting win you a game like that? It's like, I don't care if we are the dirtiest team out there, as long as we are getting the wins and doing what we need to do, and if that involves kicking the opposition until they go off injured, that's what we need to do, and that's what's missing. And that is part of the reason why Canada struggles so badly just on the international stage, because there's just too much nicety here. People don't want to play tough. People are like, oh, we have to be sporting. We have to be really nice people. Bollocks. None of that counts in football. We need to go in harder. We need to be less sporting. And that's how teams like San Jose last year, they ran away in the West. Would you class them as being sporting? No. Is that it? I have more to say, but it involves swearing, and then I have to mark this as explicit. So, I'll let, yeah, let's not. Okay, then, yeah. no, I agree with you. I, I, for one thing, I it's it seems to be go against different sports too, because I can by watching some of the form old uh, Canadian uh, hockey games and everything like that, especially the international team. Canada is not seen as sporting. Uh, for some reason, it doesn't reflect onto this uh, the soccer stage at all. So yeah, I do, there is a sense of a lack of sportsmanship um, in different sports. Of course, you can say there's no Canadians on the team, so it's like that had nothing to do with it. Yeah. But when the fans and the media are saying, "Oh no, we have to be more sporting," that's what's wrong with with football in the city is we're not hard enough, far too soft, far too nice, and we need to get a, an edgier feel next season if we're going to do anything in this league. So with that said. Obviously, that made me angry. Not as angry as I was two minutes after we scored the penalty when we let Colorado go up the field and retake the lead. And that's where we come into a player who a lot of people have rants over, Jordan Harvey. and Mr. Smiley! Yes, and his play on that, like I couldn't understand what he was trying to do. Like, I wish we had some an expert that could tell us like what he was trying to do forcing somebody his positioning was all off I, again I'm, I, I can't even explain it he was like dia- he was perpendicular to the 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 sideline when he should be facing on with the player coming towards the player but he was like asking the player which way do you want to go instead of maybe directing the player onto which way they want to go he's facing a, their top striker a guy who can score from almost anywhere on the field like it, it boggled my mind of why he was what he was doing there and again, like, as you can tell by my explanation, I'm not even explaining properly because I, I can't figure out what he was trying to do. It kind of basically just summed up Jordan Harvey's season. Dangerous in both boxes. He does, like that three-minute spell, it was a fantastic run he had to get to earn the penalty. And he's been, he's been really good going forward. I think he actually offered a lot more going forward than what Rashad had offered but, this season. No, but some games he doesn't even show up going forward. Like something, some games he's invisible even going forward. He can't so. seem to do both, though. He can't yeah. seem to defend and be able to go forward. No, I, I, I'd say he can't defend at all. And he sometimes shows up going forward. Which is a bit bad for a yeah. defender. Of course, he's out now for next week, and yeah. we'll, we'll cover that in, in a later section of the show. So that was 3-2. It was basically looking like lights out. I'm crying to get another sub on. Yeah. And you've got Kenny Miller on the bench, 
clearly not fit. You don't have any other striker. They like they didn't put Heinemann on the bench. No, Heinemann... yeah, I guess you had Eric Hurtado, but yeah. you're as well with a, a lumping Kenny Miller to, to Eric Hurtado in a situation like this. Yeah, but it just it baffled me. And then Miller Miller comes on with something like eight minutes to go, and he's he's not ready to go. And you wonder why he's on the bench even if he's not ready to go in the game. Well, that that was another one of my Twitter rants. There was a lot of that last night. If if you read them. Or if you didn't, you're probably quite lucky. But in the post-game show, Martin Rennie was asked about that. And what he said was, this is his exact quote, Kenny probably didn't have a lot more time in him than he showed today. So, why have him on the bench? Why put him on? And he said that he used him as quickly as he could. He shouldn't, that should not be the situation. What if we were two down at the 60th minute mark and we had to get two subs on. He was clearly not able to go, and we then didn't have anyone else that could have gone on instead of him. It's just bad management, some of many that we've seen this season. No, it's it's he's never Martin Rennie's never been quick to go on uh get somebody in when he sees it's he seems like I don't know, he seems like he doesn't have a feel for the game. He doesn't seem to be able to pick the right moments to sub somebody in. And and you oh, one thing also he was mentioning on the with the podcast was he was mentioning about how not to put more attacking options on the field because he yeah. doesn't want to lose possession in the midfield. Now, the whole point is to have attacking options from their midfield if you if you want to keep possession and everything. You don't have to put all strikers on. But he has no options in the midfield because his midfield is so lack of depth from the way they built the team and everything like that. So that that that's what confused me. Like... One thing they could have done, like, for example, is brought in uh, an attacker like uh, Cape Kobayashi on, if Kobayashi still had legs, take Davidson off and put Rio Coker in the holding spot because he was very... Yeah, he wasn't going it. forward. He wasn't doing anything. So then. why not do something like that and, and take off one? Like, at that point, who cares if you lose 5-2 or 6-2? Take the defensive person off and put somebody attacking on to go with. Maybe Kobayashi could have done something. Maybe Tiber being on the field... Could have made more runs, and then Kobayashi could have like maybe not made runs, but hung around there. Maybe made had a moment of brilliance. You have the you need players that can have that moment of brilliance because you're obviously not able to break down the team at all. Now that was some of the things that that Rennie said in the team radio post game show. So I want to cover some more just now in Martin Rennie's Spinorama. So Martin Rennie went on the Team Radio post-game show last night with Peris Hokowski and Carlo Corazon. And Mark Rogers. I always forgot who the third person was there, but first of all, it's good that he went on. I guess he's maybe kind of contractually has to, I don't know. But after a defeat like that, it's always going to be hard to talk. So I'll, I will say that. What I would say, though, is... It was almost as if it came across like he was in denial as to just how bad some aspects of this season has been. Now, obviously, he has to talk himself up. He's trying to keep his job. But some of the things he said, I mean, you heard it as well. I just thought it was it was a very strange... Some of the comments just were strange. And there was uh, very little... I, th- I think a lot of people were down in the dumps last night, so not very many people listened to the show because there was very little on the Twitter that uh, people were we're talking about on yeah definitely go and download it from the the team radio site if you can now one of his quotes were we're really not far away from having a good team and followed that up with there's a lot to look forward to do you think there's a lot to look forward to from the the team that we've seen this year no because the the, they're gonna have to make significant changes in order for, for it to look forward to uh for next year especially in the in the some of the higher positions like higher salary positions and higher rated positions like a lot of those players that he brought in uh just don't feel like they lived up to expectations uh whether it was injury wise or whether they just didn't show up for most of the games and didn't provide what they were looking for like injury wise you could look at uh Andy O'Brien who missed half the season Kenny Miller who missed quite a bit of chunks of the season and and he was very valuable for them when they were he was available 
but when he obviously and there when he wasn't available, there were significant gaps in where they were, and obviously they weren't looking for the right combinations at that point. And then when you look at players who didn't live up to expectations, even though they were paid high, uh, the number one guy is Kobayashi. Yeah, definitely with Kobayashi, as as we've talked about so much in, on this podcast, it feels. What we also did last night is, and today as well, we put out some requests on Twitter to get some tweets. Uh, some of the things we're going to talk about with what Martin Rennie said post-game kind of tie in with some of the tweets we've got, and we just want to read a few of them out. Now, you mentioned about the, the, the summer signings and some of the other signings, or summer signing, I should say, because we only actually signed out. Transactions, said. you can see. Yeah. <laughs> um, Andy Seal on Twitter, that's at A-S-E, and I think it's seven O's, it could be eight, but I think it's seven O's. He said, so what about that summer signing? I'm not sure if Ousted was that much better than Knighton. And that's something that we've heard a lot, especially from... A lot of people seem to be big fans of Knighton, and he's an okay keeper, but I just I don't really see why people are seem to be so fond of him. No, I he, I personally like, I disagree with Andy there about... the. I think the signing was good. I don't think they went in the right way to acquire him. I think they lost a lot when they because they had to ship out Rochat in order to bring in Osted, and for me, as people know, I'm not a huge fan of Jordan Harvey. So losing Alan Rochat and putting in David Osted instead of Knighton, it wasn't a, an even up trade there. Um, I thought they could have done more and maybe figuring out where Cannon could go and making money there. But I guess they tried that and it didn't work out. So that was probably maybe their final resort. But I I think I think it was a Overall, I think it was a good call to bring in Osted. I think he did save us some points, especially in that Seattle game that won us the Cascadia Cup. So, in a way, I think it was a it was a positive signing. Now, we also got a tweet from Craig M at Canada Mo. That's M O E, and he said he had two thoughts. One, he said it's a shame that we went so wrong in the summer, including that infamous June Marcus Davison headbutt against Philly, which is one of the things you can pinpoint as something where, yeah, yeah, turning point points were lost that were really, really and it important. Was, it was the first loss at home this season, Yeah, turned out to be. And his second point, kind of going back to what we're saying, or what Martin Rennie was saying about there's a lot to take out of this in positives, that, that he feels that the late run is indeed a positive for next year. I, I'm gonna have to disagree with that one too. I I think the, the, there were moments like the Seattle Montreal games; those were positives, but you have to look at the games at home, where they dropped a significant amount of points to RSL to a second-rate team at at home, to a second-rate Chivas team, which I think the RSL RSL team was actually more talented than the Chivas team. So those those games of lost points, I think hurt them i know people can look back and say oh we lost these points we made up these points and stuff like that but you can't drop that many points at home no i, I do agree though with craig that there there are a lot of positives to to take out of it and it, it does kind of the, the defeat in colorado is always going to leave you low and doing a podcast after that's hard but what we saw in seattle what we saw in montreal to me was great because they were performances away from home. And we haven't seen that in the three years of MLS with the Whitecaps. That the way that we played and the way that we attacked, I think that is a positive for next year if we can keep doing that under hopefully a new coach, which we'll, we'll no doubt come to. But there are a lot of negatives though, as you say. The way we played at home, the important points that we dropped, the nervousness... It's the, fo- it's the follow-ups to those results. Like, yeah. if you follow up a result in Montreal and come back and lose to RSL as the uh, B team for RSL, that's a negative, I yeah. think. No matter how much you beat Montreal by, it's still a negative. And the other thing as well is, ultimately, when push comes to shove and we've been in the really crunch games that we've had to win this year, Colorado, Montreal in the Voyagers Cup, we, once again, have not achieved and not got the results that we needed to get. So another comment we had, and another comments that Rennie spoke about yesterday, was his establishment of young players. Yeah, I'll, I'll read you the uh, read quote, the code. Yeah, because I, I had to write this down in full because it, it just had me shaking my head, and it also had Carlo Corazin. He just could not believe what Rennie was saying last night. So what he says is, I could try and do this in a Scottish accent. Maybe that would would be quite good. Make you think it's Martin Rennie. Okay, <laughs> let, let's try that. I'll try and do this in a Scottish <laughs> Go for accent. It. I wanted to introduce a number of young players in the team. 
and we've really done that. We've had a number of young players establish themselves in the group. Where? Who? Uh, very few. Like, like oh, I, I want to now. I want to just mo- read a couple comments from a couple of guys that sent us uh, tweets at uh, Matt Robinson at, at Matt, Matt J. J. Robin. Rob- yeah, there you go. Um, could Manet have provided a needed spark in those key losses and draws during August and September? Uh, Corey Jackson at Whitecaps for life. Mistake to use Manet so infrequently this season or just good player development. And then there was uh, Matt Robinson also sent a, another tweet where he, he commented about Rennie's uh, comments last, last night. I, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here. Uh, he basically said that um, they, they were disingenuous and disrespectful to the fans with his comments. So what do you think about those? Like, I, I agree. Like, Mane was basically brought in because Maddox went on international duty. Miller wasn't unavailable. So we don't... If those two guys are... One of those two guys are available yeah, for he Seattle, would, he, wouldn't played in Seattle. he wouldn't play in Seattle. Um, so that was a fluke. Mitchell, there was a number of injuries that he got in the lineup. He started playing well, so he got uh, playing in there. Towards the end of the season, you've got Tybert that's dropped out the team. Kofi that's dropped out the team. When when Tyber did come in, he came in and he actually... Um, I remember it was the LA game where he really uh, scored the two goals and he only came in because somebody got injured. I can't recall who right now. I think it might have been Kobayashi, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, he scored those two goals because he was playing well, but they didn't play him against LA. Somebody got hurt and he got into the lineup then, then within 20 minutes. Rip, and then, yeah. then Canada ruined him. Yeah, Canada. Gosh, that's, This is why we, we shouldn't have Canadians because <laughs> the Canadian national team ruins our best players. Well, it's more probably the cooking in California that might have could yeah, do it too. Yeah, the sickness as well. <laughs> But yeah, you've got him. Leveron, he's dropped out the team, so there's another young guy. So you look at the team yesterday. Oustead, I think he's 28, not yeah. not exactly young. Harvey's not young. Demerit's not young. Mitchell is middle age yep. for a middle age for a, a professional player. Not young, but middle yeah, he's ground. He's 24. Tw- I think, no, he's 25, 26. But again, as we said, he only came in because there was the, all the centre-back injuries. He was the fifth choice. Yeah. You've sent him out to Edmonton, and now he's your starter. Yeah. Then you've got Lee, who's senior, like old senior past citizen, it, drawing yeah. his pension now. Yeah. Real Coker, who looked like he was about to draw his pension yesterday. <laughs> looked like he was going to have a heart attack on the field. Yeah. Um, Matt Watson's no spring chicken. and like Davidson, Dave, Kobayashi. Yeah, it's like... Mane was the only young player yeah. last night, and that was again... Only because he had no other options. So I, I just don't see where he thinks that he's brought forward these mythical young players. Unless he's counting the reserve team that he's brought them all forward to that. Because they had a good reserve season. Yeah, they did. But if these players have established themselves in the group, why have we not seen more of Manny, whether as a sub or a starter? More of Hurtado, who can actually control a ball and makes an impact to the team. More of Coffey actually doing something worthwhile instead of having no clue apart from when he played as a DM. Um, we've got Leveron, who's been pretty good, but then he was a, he had a patchy spell and got dropped. You've got other young guys like Caleb Clark. He, he got sent to Germany. He can't even feature in the team. Ben Fisk can't get signed. He gets sent. Bryce Alderson joins him over in Charleston. So where has he introduced these young players and how have they established themselves in the group? Because they haven't even established themselves in the game day 18. Not, not, not the majority of them. The ones he's pu- pushing in, like Hurtado, you were saying that Hurtado is basically, he doesn't deserve to be in the 18, but he keeps pushing them into the 18 for some reason. Yeah, I, I think if he had come on last night in, instead of Miller, I I would just have lost it. That would have been the final straw for me. And I think I might have had to get a new TV. One of the other things that Rennie said post-game, talking about strikers and stuff like that, is he, he says, we have been a real attacking force. So I, I dug out the stats. We've got 50 goals this year, which at the moment, with one game to go and not including some of the games that's taking place on Sunday, RSL on 55, LA on 52, then us at 50. So we're, we're the third best in the West with 50 goals, plus 15 on last year. So yeah, that, that's great. We have been an attacking force. But then you look at the goals against... And we've actually shipped four more goals this year than we did last year. And we're meant to have better defenders. So how does that work? Like we've let in 45. And you look at the other teams that's around us. Portland's let in 33. Colorado's let in 35. 
Seattle's letting 41. Nine of them in, in two games against exactly. Colorado they were very They were very strong prior to this, yeah. San Jose, who's not in the playoff spots, have let in less at 41. You've got RSL at 40, LA with 37. So that I don't see that as a positive. And it is something he, he did mention post-game. One of his other quotes was, we have to get that defensive side right which if we can get a settled group of players becomes a lot easier. How do you get a settled group of players? I thought we had a pretty settled left-back and right-back situation. Middle of the defence, that's not really been where our main problems have been and that's been the only unsettled bit. He unsettled the goalkeeping situation by having three this year, four on the books including Thomas. And then you've also got games at right-back where you've got Rio Coker playing right-back, Lee being on the bench, Lee then coming on in the second half, but going in midfield and not even slotting to right back. So I, I just, I don't see where this is all coming from. It, it's just so annoying and it's so frustrating. And the thing is, Rennie is, he's fighting for his job. So he's trying to point out what he thinks are, are positives. So what he's going to say is, we got more points than we did last year. Yep, at the moment two. Whoopie doo, that's not good enough. We're not in the playoffs. 45 points from 43 last year to me, it's not a significant improvement. When you look around the rest of the league and you see how other teams have increased, Portland, 34 last year. At the moment, 54, 20 points more. You've got Colorado, 14 points more. Dallas, who didn't make the playoffs last year, aren't making the playoffs this year. They're five points better off. Seattle are five worse. San Jose's 19 worse. RSL's four worse. LA's three worse at the moment. And Chivas are just four worse. So... Yeah, we've improved. So have the teams that were below us, including Dallas. Every team's improved, and every team has improved better than us. And you have to measure a coach on how much he is improving year to year. We've got more wins this year than we did last year. We've got more goals for. We've got more points. To me, that is not enough. We got some monkeys off our back. We got our first win against LA. We beat Cascadia opposition home and away. We won the Cascadia Cup. And again, to me, that is not important in the season. And I know to you, we had this discussion last night offline, that the Cascadia Cup to you and winning it, you think it's a big deal still. And it is a big deal. I don't want to, to knock it. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to the fans, and especially us long-term fans that's been there from the D2 days. But for me, that is way down the pecking order of what mattered this season. And winning that, it's a success in winning it, but it cannot be deemed as a success that would keep Martin Rennie his job. Oh no, I don't. I don't, I, I personally I don't think it would keep his job. The one thing, uh, uh, first of all, the number one thing for me was the uh, Voyagers Cup. That was number one importance because it gets you that spot in the into the uh, Champions Champions League. League. Yeah, that, that was my number one as well. And also, not only gets you Champions League, it also gets you allocation money, which would have gotten more additions to in the summer which Possibly could help the this team. midfielder that we've needed all year yes uh so that was number one playoffs i'm not i'm not a, a huge fan of the playoffs i think it's a popularity contest um i think the i think the mls referees would have found a way for to eliminate the white caps uh, eventually like they did last year against la but ultimately so, that's what we're playing for because yes what, true. What, what is the point of the team existing what is they're there to play football they're not there as an entertainment they're not there to to go and put on a show for everyone, they're ultimately there to win and to win championships. That's what a football team is there to do. That's what a sports team is there to do. And this has nothing to do with glory hunting. You don't watch a team like East Fife like I have since 1984, battling in the lower leagues to be called a glory hunter. You don't expect glory. You can never expect glory. But you have to qualify. And if you don't, the coach's head has to be on the line. And people are saying, oh, you don't want to be like Toronto. You don't want to change your coach every year. Well, we're not. We've given him two years. We have shown very little improvement. And to me, he, he has to go. That His position is untenable. The pluses of the season do not outweigh what he has failed to achieve. So uh, in order to answer another question from Canada Mo, uh, does Rennie survive October? He will survive. Well, actually, maybe he won't survive October. I could see... Monday the 28th or Tuesday the 29th is the day that he's announced that he's away. Yeah. I, I, in, in a way, I, if, if they're going to fire him, make it quick. Because they, they, to, they have to have the right replacement, though, as no, well. Because oh, no, they have to find that replacement. It's not gonna, they're not going to find the replacement right away. Don't do what TFC does and fire somebody a month after the season and then 
waste your time looking for the right replacement. You got to have somebody in order right now so we don't be like TFC where we're getting somebody two weeks into January where they don't have enough time to bring in new players or their own players. The other thing with that as well is if, if there is someone in mind that they want, I'd like them to try and get that appointment done first week of November if possible. Yeah. If they're still with an MLS club that's in the playoffs, that's not going to happen. But the reason I want that is I want him to have a month of a training camp like we did when Rennie came here in 2011. We had, I think, a two-week training camp or 10 days or something where he evaluated the players and that's what a new coach needs to evaluate the players now because they're going to be making the decisions as to whether we keep them in November. So a couple other things from the Twitter sphere. This is, this will be the Jay Duke uh, question period. He says, for his first tweet was, uh, why is Camilo still taking indirect free kicks? And I have no idea because he's shocking at them. Yeah, and he says, is there is the fault on the set pieces, is that a personnel or coaching at fault? It's both. It's coaching because the coach is letting him take them. The coach should be saying, look, Camilo, you're fantastic with a dead ball where it's direct. See when it's indirect? Yeah, let's not bother. Let's get you in the box and try and mop up something that might like, break to you. And that's where maybe uh, another issue with the coaching is that they didn't bring in the right people for that because you want that number 10 usually to take that those free kicks or somebody yeah, or that Yeah, or real poking lever on. I've, I've seen him in training with free kicks and he's excellent. Yeah, or like even Kobayashi. Kobayashi came in and a lot of people expected him to take those free kicks in corners, but he doesn't do it that much anymore. I don't know if the cast out, you know, unbalances him when he's taking the free kick or not because he's got that heavy side on one side. Well, hopefully he'll be cast out pretty soon anyway. Oh, good one. And then also you got Tiber too, who doesn't seem to be taking very many free kicks as well when you when everybody talks about his left foot. I do think Tybert's quite overrated, though, as I do with Kofi, but that's probably something for, for another show. Oh, and then, okay, so then why don't I just go to this one? Uh, there's another comment from Jay Duke. Are Tybert and Kofi ready to put the everyday starters? And will Sagato be able to contribute? And for me, no. Kofi might be in a DM role. We've needed a central midfielder all year, and Kofi was playing that role. And to me, he just was not giving us what we needed, and I just don't think he should be in there. I know a lot of the fan base, a lot of the supporters group, they just love the guy, and they think he's, like, just magic. I've never seen it. I just do not know what it is. And even the radio pundits, they're all like, how's Davison in the team instead of Kofi? Because Davison offers a lot more to the team than Kofi. But what I will say is Kofi as a DM for home games would be fantastic because he has that attacking edge. Davidson needs to fill that role for away games because he's more defensive and that is what you want from the DM on the road. Tybert, he's not a starter at the moment for me. He's He had that great month, then he was found out and he's not been able to come back. I actually think he's going to struggle to, to make an impact next season. Like I think he's more dangerous than a central. I've told you, I've mentioned this before in different podcasts, and I think he's more than on the wing. He, I think he gets lost out on the wing. For example, if he was in that spot where with where Watson was when Watson toe poked it and everything like that, I think Tyra would have had a better finish on that shot and might have been able to score. There's actually a really good thread on the Southsiders forum at the moment. It's entitled Favourite Wacky Rennie Move. And it's it's got a lot of replies. Some of them are absolutely fantastic. And there, there seems to be an awful lot to pick from. But one of the ones I really liked was from our good friend Lord Bob, Benjamin Massey. Uh, and he said, Russell Tybert plays brilliantly in the middle, goes outright for a couple of games on an emergency basis, posts some counting numbers for a short time, never goes in the middle again. And... Yeah, I mean, maybe he should be playing in the middle or not out wide. But I don't think he's our answer to our midfield woes either. No, but Rennie said that. Rennie said that he's a more of a central player. He's mentioned that in, a, in an interview. Uh, so that doesn't make sense of why he wouldn't come back to the middle then afterwards. And then uh, final one from Jay Duke. Did Rio Coker meet expectations this season? How about during the important games? Is he worth a pay increase next year? I would say no, definitely not a worth yeah. a pay increase. Well, I mean, I, I wrote an article. Well, not, not a designated player spot, definitely no, not. No, definitely not. I mean, and I wrote an article on AFTN, which you can't read at the moment because CSN's down. But a, a few weeks ago, I wrote about that. And he isn't worth a DP spot. He is probably worth more money than the 200 grand that he's on as a, as a basic. And I would like them to maybe use some of that retention funds to do that. I just don't know if he's going to 
A, want to hang around for that money, and B, still be here if Rennie's the coach. Uh, the final one I'm just going to bring out, the last tweet we have here is from Shoe Thief. Um, he's uh, found at Stuck on the Sofa. Um, he's talking about next year a little bit. Uh, what trade value does Maddox have left? Could we package him for a pick for a number 10 or a replacement for Lee? And he says, what trade possibilities exist for Mane? Uh, he says, don't lynch me. Yeah, he's just uh, throwing that out. Yeah, but it's I, an I, interesting I, one. I, I wouldn't trade Mane. I think yeah. Mane's... Uh, what I, I personally don't think Mane should be a, a set starter next year either. I, I like to see him as being like... If they, we bring in a replacement for Miller, uh, say a, a striker pair to go with Camilo, um, have Mane being the first option off the bench as a striker and when Camilo has a little bit of a dry spell bring in Manny as a starter for there too so I, that's where I would like to see Manny next year I don't think they should trade him how about Maddox uh, I think Maddox there are some teams out there that will be interested in Maddox I, there's no way I would ever trade Maddox liar <laughs> um, yeah it's let's let's just try and find somewhere for, for Darren to go I, I, I'll like throw this out now to the Whitecaps if you want a hand making some phone calls to get to get rid of Darren, just call me in. I've got a bit of free time coming up, so I'm quite happy to make some phone calls for you. I th- I don't think he's a bad player as such, and I think he would do well in the right system, but we are not going to play the system that's going to suit him. Well, unless you bring in a new coach and it's going to be a 4-4-2 but, or something yeah, like that. Even so, he, he needs to be a guy that... he needs. He needs to play in a team where there's going to be long balls from to chase down. Yeah. And I don't think that would be accepted in Vancouver. No. And maybe Frank Yallop sometimes likes to do that. So maybe wherever Frank Yallop goes, Darren Matic should go. Make it a deal. So with all that in mind, there's one more game still left to play. And we're at home to Colorado next week. It's fan appreciation night. So there's going to be like jerseys off your back. Well, that's going to be through a raffle this year, just to let you know. Oh, I so, yes, I did see something tweeted out there. Yeah. But still, still, they're giving giving Jess off the back, which is yeah. great to season ticket holders. And I, I, that's one thing that I like about the game over here that they have these fan appreciation nights. It's not something that you have in the UK, and it's something that the UK clubs really lack behind in a, in getting the fans on side with them. And a lot of the UK clubs could actually learn a lot from what goes on in, in Major League Soccer instead of looking down their nose at oh, it's the American game; they don't know anything about football. Yeah. Fan appreciation nights are great. So we've got that next week. That's and then we'll a, also have the Cascadia Cup presentation. Yes, which it, there was maybe meant to be a presentation at the airport today. You were at the airport. Yes, I decided to go down and check it out. I uh, was disgusted with you for doing that. <laughs> I just want I've never seen the Cascadia Cup in person, so I wanted to see it. It's been like since 2008. Ah, that's old hat for me. It's been in my car. Yeah. I had it in the back seat. You slept with it probably too. No, I, I didn't, but we had some fun in the back seat. Okay, excellent. Look forward to next week. I want to see changes. Uh, I want to see some of the young guys get a game. From the signs of Rennie on the post-game show, that's not going to happen. He's going to play a strong lineup. He seems to want to go for this 48 points total, which maybe that's something that he thinks is going to save his job, having 48 points instead of 45, because, yes, five points more than last season does sound better than two. Definitely. What I really want to see... And I tried to start this campaign on Twitter last night. I had 17 or 18 retweets so far. I want to see Joe Cannon getting some time next week, whether he starts, comes off, waves to everyone, whether he comes on at half-time and has a great send-off at the end of the game, whether someone like Simon Thomas starts and then Cannon comes on at the hour mark and gets the big celebration. He deserves it. He deserves to play. I don't think he's going to, but it would be a wonderful send-off because he's probably not going to play in MLS again. And someone was saying to me on Twitter, but they don't really consider him that great a servant to the club that he deserves to have something like that. To me, he is in the MLS era. He, he's been one of our greatest servants. Some people may not know this story, but up at Empire, after one of the, the bleak days and our, our defeats under Tommy Soane, he came into Oscar's pub, put $1,000 behind the counter and bought all the fans in that pub a drink. And made sure that we, he left by saying enjoy yourself this is on me make sure you tip the bar staff he was a great guy for doing that but he's also been and i think this is why it's important a great servant to mls he's had such a long career that he deserves a proper send-off and i just think that would be a wonderful touch for the white caps to do that and have him somehow 
on the field on that last day of the season and just get the welcome and the booms and everything from the fans. No, I 100% agree. Like, even if he, he first of all, he's the, uh, he tweeted out that he's the, in a joking way, he's the leader in save percentage for this season. That doesn't surprise me because he was fantastic at the start of the yeah. season. Um, he was making the clutch saves that someone like Romando and Ricketts does. Yeah. And we haven't had that. We had it in one game from Knighton and we've not had it from him or I did for the rest of the and year. And even when he wasn't starting, um, he was still engaged with the fans and everything like that. So he was still like, you know, on Twitter or whatever you want to call it, like even at practices, uh, um, or, you know, away from, at home games when he wasn't even dressing in the 18, he was still engaged with the fans. So yeah, it was he's a, he's a great, great guy. He deserves a send off. And then on the other end of the spectrum, another guy who we both of us, I think should, will agree that should start is uh, a young player, Sam Adekube. Yeah. And Harvey's out. He's suspended. Yeah. So they're going to have to put somebody in the left back spot. I think David Norman came up with a great uh, comment. He's an 18 year old. Sure. But he's on the MLS roster. He signed to a contract. Um, he made comparisons to him to Yedlin, um, who uh, played last year in the same league that Adukubi played in, and he also made a com- uh, a comparison to uh, I think it's I can't remember the D- FC Dallas's uh, uh, fullback name I can't remember his name but uh, basically made comparisons to those two and saying Sam Akubi is on the same level he's played in games with the U18s he's played in games in reserves and against Seattle he was outstanding oh fantastic he was, he was playing against top experienced MLS players. And he scored against Marcus Hanneman and yeah. drove him off the pitch, basically. And, I like, Adekubi should start. I somehow don't think he's going to. The other thing I would like to see, if if he doesn't start Adekubi, I'd maybe like to see Lever on there just to see what he's like as a left-back. It's hard to tell in one game, but I would like to see that. There's not going to be wholesale changes. I'd like to see some of the young guys get minutes. You're not really going to, to tell much from one game I do get that but I think it's important sometimes to blood these guys Klazura could be another guy that that gets the call Lee I think will play because he's going to get the big send off because he's retiring I personally couldn't care less if he plays or not next week it's like he's played two seasons for us he's been okay he's not been fantastic I'm oh, he's not... fantastic last season. Come on, give him some 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 credit there. He was good last season. You're, you're just basing this because you're upset about last night. No, he was good last season and then he tired. Just like this season where he wasn't even great this but season. Is but that, is that the his fault or the, is that the Whitecaps organization for not realizing that they're bringing in a 36, 37-year-old or however old he is and not having a decent backup for him and where he could get some rest and, and be fresh for the whole season? True, there's a lot of things you can pin at the the fault of the Whitecaps organisation. And we're going to have a round table, we're going to have a few of them in November. And one of them is just going to pick over the season, if you really want to do that again, and just look at the way forward. Hopefully by then we'll have a little bit of an understanding, an announcement whether Rennie's staying or going. Definitely, and uh, even next week we're going to have our last post-game podcast as well. So we'll yep, get we're, to that. we'll be live from BC Place. And it's fancy dress, so everyone's encouraged to kind of go for the last game of the season, try and add a little bit of happiness to the occasion. And what we're wanting from you, we'll tweet this out as well, but send us some tweets at AFTN Canada. If you can, use the hashtag AFTN Podcast. We want to know, it's going to be a special Halloween show, especially with it being the the horror of a season that, that we've had in a lot of regards. So what costumes should certain White Cups players have? Um, should should Jay Demerit, for example, just be wrapped in bandages and go as a mummy? <laughs> or how about uh, Diego Kobayashi as the Invisible Man? That, that actually, that could go for a lot of players. Yeah, that, that was actually games. Philippe Davis. He he played that role really good in 2011. <laughs> so you get those suggestions in. Um, maybe even send some suggestions in for, for other MLS players if there's anyone. Obviously, Len Hart could go as a creepy clown. Uh, Ziggy Schmidt as a turkey. There's, there's so many things that we can do with this. So we'll, we'll Tommy have... Heinemann as Chewbacca. Oh, yeah. Or just some kind of Sasquatch, which is one of his, his many nicknames, that and Buster. So get those into us, and we'll hopefully have a little bit of fun next week because there's nothing left to play for. Nothing at all. Can't even get the number one seeding in the Voyagers Cup anymore. So I, I'm just hoping to, to try and get the most misery out of the teams that I hate. We're recording this before the San Jose LA game tonight. 
I'm kind of rooting now for a San Jose win so that Seattle maybe just don't make the playoffs. Aces, baby. Uh, there's still a chance maybe that Montreal might not make the playoffs. I'd need to work it out after Houston lost I th- today. I, but... I, I, I think they've they've done enough now yeah, to make it. I, th- I, think... I think they have. Don't want Portland to win the support of Shield. Don't think that's going to happen. So there's some good things that can still happen this year. So thanks for listening to what could be close an hour of an angry Scottish person ranting. My name is Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. And I'm Steve Pender. You can find me at, at Whitecaps Pete on Twitter. You can also email us at AFTNCanada at hotmail.com. And you can read all our stuff online. At the moment, CSN is down, so our usual AFTN.ca direction is maybe not going to take you anywhere. So you can get us on blogger, AFTNCanada.blogspot.ca. So we're going to have a few things up there until CSN is back up and running, which will hopefully be at some time this week. So until next time, let's just try and keep some happy thoughts of the season. I know it's difficult, but... There's always next year. There's still time next year? Hopefully. Thanks for listening, everyone.